To the Rock Podcast. We've begun studying Ecclesiastes, which is one of the most unique and intriguing books in the Bible. King Solomon is reflecting on some of his backsliding years, and he's going to try to convince you to live with an eternal perspective by proving to you how meaningless life is without God at the center. Now let's join Pastor Ross as we're reminded to look to Jesus for our joy and purpose in life. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, we've turned a corner a little bit. We finished the first section of Ecclesiastes 1 through 6, and now we start a new focus. Instead of the survey of life without God, he's already reached a conclusion. It's meaningless. Now he's going to offer you some counsel in the remaining chapters. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, we are gathered here together to hear the God-breathed word, Lord, to inspire our hearts, to open our eyes, to understand what is true and what is not, and how to live for you, Lord, so that at the end of our lives, instead of regret, we'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master's kingdom That's what we want to hear, Lord, and it'll be very helpful to understand your word tonight and put it into practice in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. When I need advice or counsel about something serious, I'm pretty particular about who I seek out, as I'm sure you are as well. For me, I'm looking for somebody who has godly character, mature faith, and it's kind of evidenced by a stable life that employs practical wisdom. Um, So let's say that my wise friend, uh, my usual go-to guy for getting some advice, um, has been going through a recent tragedy or maybe dealing with a personal crisis or kind of sadly in a season of moral compromise. It happens. Now, um, it would be important if I were to get advice from that person to understand what situation they're in, what state of mind, what kind of mood, what kind of spiritual outlook. So kind of factor that in, uh, probably still get some good advice, but I'd have to take into account uh, their state of being, the condition of their soul, as it were. And so that's certainly the case with King Solomon, uh, the preacher, the Ecclesiastes, because that word means the preacher. And he is preaching, and now, as I mentioned, uh, he is going to give us some advice. He has already concluded, he's done this search, you know, he's been backsliding, and he's searching out under the sun in this life, can I be happy without God being front and center? Is there any way? Will riches do it? Will wine, women, and song do it? Pleasures, luxury, uh, influence, power, government, uh, accomplishments, anything? And he comes to uh, the conclusion, chapters 1 through 6, no, nothing. It's not going to happen. We have a God-shaped 
hole in our hearts and you can try a lifetime with all of those things and more and you're going to come up empty. Jesus is the one who said, listen, it's the water that God gives you that will quench your thirst. It's the bread that comes down from heaven that will satiate your hunger. And so uh, that's where we're at here, you know. So we take what Solomon advises with a grain of salt because he is in a, in a funky state. I mean, he's drifted. He's, he's got 700 wives who, uh, you know, can you imagine 700 wives? And, and uh, they're, uh, they're idols. They're foreign women. And they, the scriptures say that they led his heart astray to follow after idols. And so he's not seeing clearly but he is going to give us some good advice, but his advice we just take with a grain of salt because he's in this place of meaningless, meaningless, when the gospel says meaningful, meaningful. And so we're always weighing his words with the New Testament revelation and the gospel so that we can be uh, balanced. So, you know, and who's to blame for all of this, you know? Uh, he has leveled a couple accusations at the Lord that God is a big meanie up there, you know. Uh, but actually, you know, I heard it said, if God seems distant, who's moved? Right? <laughs> he didn't move. You know, so Solomon's on a spiritual hiatus. And when you're on a spiritual break from the Lord, uh, don't expect too much sunshine. Amen. So I guess Ecclesiastes can be uh, really boiled down to how to save yourself a lot of misery. Um, it's sad. There's, no, there's nobody sadder than somebody who has too much knowledge of God to be happy in their sin and too much of the world to be happy with the Lord. That person is miserable. And uh, we hear a little bit... Uh, from him in in the scriptures because Solomon really kind of fits that bill right now. And so here we go with the second half beginning in chapter 7, as I said, in light of all this, he says, you know, I'm going to give you some advice. You are on the Titanic, but uh, let me tell you, uh, let me tell you how to um, have a good life and live a decent life even though the ship is going down. Uh, that's sort of where we're at. And so uh, this is how he's going to start his advice. He's going to say, uh, chapter 6 closed out with kind of a prompt to where we're now at. He asked the question, who can tell us about this crazy life? What's coming? What the future holds after death and all of that? And, and so now he's going to say, it was a rhetorical question because from his point of view, he's distant from God. So there is no answer. Uh, you're on the Titanic. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, there are some things in life that are better than others. So do the better. That makes sense to him. Okay, so that's what he's going to start out with. He's going to, so, so two things tonight to look for, two sections. First, he's going to say, my first advice is straighten up, sober up. Life is serious. Let me get your attention about life. So that's the first it's a set of six proverbs to kind of, hey, well, are you messing around? Life is serious. And then this is, so straighten up, one through six verses, and then fly right. Here's, here's how 
Here's how you decent human beings live. And Proverbs continues from 7 to 12. So we only get 12 verses, but they're pretty thick. So here we go. 1 through 6. So six sets of Proverbs really coming to us. A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. Yeah, I promised you it would get better, but okay, here, it will. (laughs) Verse 2, it's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. Verse 3, sorrow is better than laughter, because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. Verse 5. It is better to heed a wise man's rebuke than to listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. Okay, so like I said, things are looking up. (laughs) Sort of. (laughs) Now, if Solomon could have written a a disclaimer, he might have written something like this. My apologies, my dear Christian readers. In my current spiritual backslidden condition, I can't see past the clouds caused by my own moral compromise. But I can offer you wisdom on how to best bide your time here on the Titanic. Love and best wishes, King Solomon. All right. A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. Well, Solomon's weary. He's a fence walker, man. He used to know all this stuff, but he drifted away. He did what God told him not to do, and and now he's confused. He's miserable. He can't find his way out, and so he's tired. He's tired of a life that doesn't make sense. He's tired of knowing the right thing to do, but not having the power to to see it happen. He's weary, and so death for him, I mean, he's been chasing after the wind. Every other verse was, it's like chasing the wind. You don't even know where the wind is going. You start chasing in one direction, and it changes on you. He is Plum tuckered out. So he sees death as a chance of escape, of a final chance to rest. So, you know, it starts out like a a nice proverb from the good old days, right? When Solomon 7.0 version, uh, a good name is more desirable than great riches and to be esteemed better than gold and all of this. But then it takes a shocking turn because we've got Solomon, the new, the new downgraded version, a 6.0 version, you know, he's, now he's saying, he's saying a good reputation is better than expensive uh, perfume. We got that. Okay, we get that. And then he says the last day of life is greater than the first. What? Well, it's because life is a struggle. Either way, with the Lord. It's still a struggle. So 
He sees some relief. He's in a lot of pain and anguish. And the preacher sees death, dark as it is, as escape from oppression and, and meaninglessness. And so, yes, of course, joked one pastor. I was reading his remarks. And he said, of course this guy wants to escape and, and, and check out, you know. He's got 700 wives in the house, 300 concubines. And, and a disquieted conscience 24-7. Of course, he's got a thousand dripping faucets. Do you remember the dripping of the water? Yeah, never mind. Check it out. Read Proverbs. You'll find it. Of course, this guy's looking for a little rest in peace. Now, Christians, what do, you, what do we think about that verse? Well, we have mixed feelings about this verse, uh, and I'm not sure that we don't agree with him. Um, in Christ, for a Christian, death is precious. Uh, even to the Lord, Psalm 116 and verse 15 says that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his own. And so for us, too, that day when the battle is over, our struggle, our conflict, the thing that I want to do, I don't do, the thing that I don't want to do, that I keep on doing, all of that is done. The second we are absent from the body and present with the Lord, there's no, no, not even a possibility of sinning. And to see the face of the Lord and to see what, what nobody's ever been able to see or hear or imagine, the wonderful things God has prepared for those who love him, man, that, that's a delight. To be able to say, I fought the good fight. I've, I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. From now on, the crown of righteousness is laid up for me, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but for all those who long for his appearing, to hear Jesus, the Son of God, look at you and say, well done, well done, good, faithful servant. Entered. He says, the language there says, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate together. So I don't know about you, but living in a life that's full of trouble, Jesus acknowledged that. In this world, you're gonna, it's filled with trouble, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. But we're torn. What did Paul say? Philippians chapter 1, he said, I'm torn. He says, you know, I love life being used by God and knowing that God is, needs me to be around and family and friends. Uh, I love the King James, he says, for I am in straight betwixt the two. <laughs> I love that. He says, I'm torn. I know I love to be here doing God's work. But I also would prefer to be with Christ, to depart, for that is much better. So, yeah, I mean, it's funny. We talk about heaven all the time. And then when, you know, suddenly the doctor says, hey, you might be going, we're like, oh, no. <laughs> you know, Christians, I, I mean, God has put in every heart the desire to hang around here. Right. And so but there is kind of a tearing nose. Charles Spurgeon asks, what is a good name? A name that is written in the Lamb's Book of Life is sweeter than any perfume for sure. Now, you know, death is only better if its sting has been removed by the gospel. 
And if not, then death has no rival in its ultimate misery and horror. So um, this is only for believers. So Solomon continues the train of thought here to verse 2, the advantage of death in faith anyway. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of every person. It is appointed unto you once to die and then to be evaluated or judged by the Lord. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, right? And so this is our destiny. And he says the living should take this to heart. Now, here's what he's saying. He's saying, you know, more you're, you're apt to gain more insight face-to-face with eternal things than noisy company where deeper realities and life is drowned out with music, chatter, food, and levity. In other words, he says, better to go to a funeral than, let's say, a birthday or a wedding, all right? And here's his thinking. He's saying, at a funeral, you will be reminded that you too will die. And this is a benefit because when you recognize your mortality, you're apt to want to be inspired to seize the moment, to be less distracted with dumb stuff or make foolish decisions and and waste your life. Because you see right in front of you a picture of somebody who was just alive two weeks ago, and now you're just reminded, especially at Christian funerals, the guy gets up and he shares the gospel. And so he's saying it is much better for you to, to be in a place where people are seriously grieving and, and concentrating on the most important matters in this life. And so um, it's really important to consider the seriousness of life. That's what he's saying. So the wedding, compared to a wedding, a funeral compared to a wedding, the wedding, you enter a fantasy world, all right, where, you know, not, not much of it is really real. Now, we're talking about a worldly wedding, okay? And so the fantasy is usually followed up at a wedding with an open bar, all right? And so, yeah, have you been, y'all been to a wedding in, in the world? <laughs> yeah, there, there's usually an open bar. Now, one pastor said this, his name's Ross Reinman. <laughs> it would do the vast majority of the people in this world to go to a funeral, to think about their mortality, and hear the gospel and take such things to heart, rather than to go to a wedding, get a little buzzed, and do some dance moves you will regret when you see them posted on Facebook. <laughs> He's absolutely, I totally agree with him. Look at, look at verse 3. Look at verse 3 because he's, he's, he's tracking here. Now track with him. Now he's saying, because sorrow is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. Now in, in relationship to the previous verse, why funerals may offer you more than a frat party would. All right, so... One writer uh, summed it up this way, a real writer. (laughs) A sorrow shared may bring inner comfort more than an evening with back-slapping jokers who had one glass too 
many. So a shared sorrow, a sorrow is better than laughter because when you are sorrowful, when you're grieving, when you're serious about things, instead of just laughing and entertaining yourself all the way to the grave, as some people do, there will be some people who wake up in hell and having never given spiritual things a thought because they never took the earbuds out they never unplugged from the video games. They never unplugged from movies, dumb movies, or foul-mouthed comics, and these kind of things. And they laughed and partied and distracted their way all through life. This is what Solomon's getting at. Now, laughter is good medicine he's written before. So it's not always the case. He's just saying if laughter and entertainment is at the expense of your relationship with God and the serious matters of your heart. If you're always distracted, which the devil, that's his number one tool in his workshed. Distract you, distract you, distract you, distract you, and then it's too late. He didn't even get you to do anything really, really wicked. What he just did was string you along, string you along, string you along, string you along, so you don't decide, you don't think seriously. You don't take stock in eternity. And man, my turn's coming, and I, I got to have peace with God. So he just strings you along, strings you along, strings you along, and entertains you. And then you wake up, and you find out, wow, you crossed the line, and it's too late to come back there. And so this is what he's saying here. Jesus himself said, watch out, you who are entertaining yourself all the way to the grave. Luke chapter 6. So he, he says, woe to you who laugh now. You, you know what he's talking about. It's just that at the expense of your relationship with God, uh, you know, that's why Jesus said, blessed are the, they who mourn because repentance and humility and humbling ourselves it is a serious, sobering thing. And that's why Solomon's saying it's better to be in the house of mourning because you're closer to that place of, of coming to God than when you're in a party atmosphere, even though anybody in their right mind would say, of course, I'd rather go to a party than a funeral. He's just saying, in reality... If you don't have a relationship with God and you're living some kind of foolish life, it would be better for you to, to hang out at a funeral than to be at the party laughing yourself into some kind of oblivion. So the heart of the wise, he goes on to say, is in the house of the morning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. So go ahead. Go ahead. Here's what he's saying. Open the door of, a, of the sanctuary when there's a funeral going on in here. That's the atmosphere where wisdom can do its work. And then he says, okay, and then leave this place and go down the street to the closest bar. Open the door. That's the atmosphere where foolishness kind of has a gestation period. That's just the way it is. So he's talking to the people of the world. He says, seriously, your life matters. You're a human, eternal being. And you're just going to just, you know, what's that word I'm looking for? Just kind of spend it away. Yeah, fritter? 
fritter it away, right? That's the word, but it sounded like something you eat. So, you just don't want to fritter it away. That's what he's trying to get your attention. So he says, it is better to heed a wise man's rebuke now than to listen to the song of fools. So he says, listen, most people like songs and hate correction. But he's trying to say, not all painful things are bad. A death of a friend really can affect you in a really, you can have a positive turnaround, right? And that's kind of painful. Or a rebuke from a friend can do the same thing. Neither thing is pleasant. Everything he's talking about are, are things people tend to avoid. And he's saying, don't avoid the things that help bring focus to what matters when you're dealing with spiritual, eternal matters. That's the point here. So he's saying, maybe you should take, you know, if Solomon's talking to a teenager, you know, listening to nonsense or garbage, let's say, and uh, maybe you should take out your earbuds and take heed to your parents' annoying corrections, which is a rebuke, because they're better for you than listening to nonsense of shallow entertainment that sounds pleasing to you because it's a pleasing melody or pleasing lyrics or pleasing rhythm. But what is it doing for your soul? That's what he's saying. Uh, some kid pulled up next to me. I like all kinds of music. I'm not the kind of guy who's got you know, a problem with the secular music. I really don't. I mean, I've got a problem with vile lyrics, right? Uh, but, uh, and that was my problem at the stop sign. He pulls up next to me, and it's loud, and it's kind of hip-hoppy kind of um, R&B kind of blended together. There's probably a name for that. I think it's Fritter. <laughs> it's, it's Fritter music. It's frittertating. So he pulls up, and he's frittertating. And, 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 and uh, oh, my word. I just thought I'm listening to the words and that's going in his ears and to his heart and in his mind. And you know, when songs, songs are powerful, they get stuck in your head. And now I had, soon and very soon, the new song that we've been singing, I had that stuck in my head for like six hours. It was so wonderful. You know, all day long it was like soon and very soon, just the ending of it, you know? And it just made me so focused, like, how I live my life with a heavenly perspective. Now, conversely, when you got all that stuff thumping around in there, man, Solomon's just saying, that's not good. You need to open up, even if it's a rebuke, Open up to the truth. And then he ends the section by saying, and by the way, and this is an insult uh, to people in the world. He just says, uh, like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This is meaningless. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, how, how dumb is it not to take your life seriously, you eternal being? How, how ridiculous is that? He says, so 
if you're the kind of guy who likes worldly weddings with open bars and you just go and you can't wait to overdrink and you're and you um, you've got your earbuds on all the time and it's full of just terrible, vile, uh, seductive kind of nonsense. And if you'd rather listen to foul mouth comedians uh, than listen to the word of God, then he and he then he says, you're not going to like verse six. He says, because not only are you a certified fool from the Bible's point of view, but you're irritating to everybody else who's not a fool. And, and here's, what he, here's what he's saying. He's saying your loud laughter uh, that comes at the expense of morality and wisdom and faith and your relationship with God, it, it's annoying to wise people. It's irritating, like the crackle um, and of kindling under a campfire, under a pot on a campfire. That snap, crackle, and pop. Here we go again with the fritters, you know. <laughs> he says, listen, that boisterous, empty, fake laughing that has no connection to reality is just obnoxious. And it's sad to have to be in a room and listen to it and watch you on your way to perishing, throwing your head back and just cackling up a storm. He says, it's just, it's just so sad. It's upsetting. It vexes us. James Crenshaw wrote of this. He kind of caught the spirit. He says, thistles provide quick flames, little heat, and a whole lot of unpleasant noise. And so I think that's what he's talking about there. So he's saying, and Solomon's saying, look, I look around, the ship's going down, and everyone's throwing their heads back and howling with laughter. This too is meaningless. That's what he's saying. It's meaningless to look at a world that's in crisis. It's obvious to Solomon, this world doesn't work. Everybody's getting old and aging and dying, and then what? Life goes around and around. It's monotonous. It's a rat race out there. It's just one big contradiction and paradox. And shouldn't everybody know, whoa, wow, what happened here? Shouldn't we be spending some time contemplating my life's soul is at stake here? Instead, they're partying and laughing, cracking jokes all the way to the end. He says, that's meaningless to me. I look around and he says, that's just meaningless. So the first set of advice now is done with the straighten up, right? So now he's going to say, once you straighten up, now here's how you fly right. Okay, so here come the last part. We'll talk about these few proverbs and then we'll be done. So 7 through 11, um, He's going to say, here's how to be a decent person. Here's what people, here's what God expects of people. Now, the New Testament disclaimer is, if you don't know the Lord, it doesn't matter your behavior at all, because you're headed to a Christless eternity. The New Testament says, the only goodness that matters is goodness that comes as a result of you believing on Jesus Christ his Holy Spirit coming in and making you brand new and his Holy Spirit helping you to do these kinds of good behaviors. That's the only good that ever counts. And besides that, without the Holy Spirit, you can't do any of these things. 
And so with that disclaimer, then we'll take a look at this. Let's just take a look at them uh, one at a time. First, he says, a, a decent human being, he says, extortion turns a wise man into a fool and a bribe corrupts the heart. So the first of these character qualities, they're really going to be, I think, about five of them he's going to ask for. But first, what's interesting to me about this verse is he says, wisdom isn't fail-safe. So you have to, it's not enough to have wisdom. You have to live by it. You have to do the work. All right? So, and he's a great example of that. He was the wisest man on earth, and he backslid because it didn't matter. I mean, the doctor, the pulmonary specialist who smokes three packs of cigarettes a day is going to die of cancer. And, and that's kind of a, a paradox, isn't it? Well, this is what he's saying. Just because you have wisdom, if you don't in wisdom know how to deal with the, the temptation of extortion or bribery or loving money, then you'll be turned into a fool. That's what the first part is, is that we are vulnerable even though we know the Lord and we have wisdom. Wisdom has to teach you how to abstain, how to escape, how to say no, right? We take steps with the wisdom. Wisdom speaks and we put it into action. So the first of the five character qualities, he says, listen, God's point of view, you want to be a civilized human being? This is what pleases God. Number one, you should be a man of integrity. Don't sell out. Be a man or a woman who can't be bought. You know, can somebody say, what would you do? Would you do this for $10 million? Fill in the blank. Would you do it for $100 million? The man of integrity, the word integrity means whole. There, there's, a, there's no crack. There's no way to get in because they're just wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y and H-O-L-Y. Holy, holy for the Lord. Integrity. He says, um, integrity, I'm not for sale. That's number one. Uh, number two, he's going to say patience. You've got to be a person of integrity, and you need to be a person, person of patience to finish what you start. Now, will you ever do anything worth anything without patience? Self-control and patience needed to complete everything, your Christian life, projects, the work of the Lord. <laughs> processes, all kinds of things. So it, here's what he's saying. It's the completing of tasks, not the beginning of them, that counts for much. And if you're going to start bragging, and that's where your verse talks about pride, you don't boast about the cake recipe till the cake's out of the oven, all right? And really, you can't boast even when, at that time. Because I've had a cake that come out of the oven, and then I tried to get it out of the pan. <laughs> there was no cake left. And then you try to disguise it with the, put the frosting on top to cover everything. You know, it's in 14 pieces, you know. It just doesn't work. So he's just saying, listen, um, putting the foundation 
or putting the, I should say, the, the finishing touches on your house. He says, that's way cooler than digging the foundation. Patience is better than pride. In other words, hold off on your great feelings of accomplishment until you've actually finished what you've started. Everybody, we're so fast with it. He said, listen, hold off until the permits have cleared, the studies have been done, the escrow closes, the supplies have been provided and purchased, the roof goes on, the bills are paid, and the crew shows up to do the work. Then you can start talking about this is the house I built instead of this is the house. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. It's going to be this. And he says, patience. He says, everyone and their brother start something, but few and far between are the ones who bring a work to completion. Man, alive. We're all such good beginners. We begin a thousand things, you know, new diets, new resolutions, new projects, new hobbies, new additions, new subtractions, new, uh, <laughs> you know, new devotions, new habits, new friendships, new serving endeavors. And we're just poor completers. I like 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 11. There's a proverb there. It says, let not the person putting on their armor brag like someone who's taking it off. So, don't, you know, you're putting on the armor to go out and you're, you're, you're talking smack and you're all this and we're going to do that and this and you're putting on your armor. No, 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 no. That's not the time for talking. Have the patience and the long-suffering to finish that which you're, you're, you're starting to do. And then it's time to have some confidence in that which was already accomplished. A lot of people don't understand how patient, and this goes for your Christian life. I've been at this now almost 40 years. I went to Bible college when I was 19 years old. I don't know the percentages of those who shipwrecked. There's a lot. I go on Facebook. I stalk people. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know a name will come to mind, and then you just kind of search in there, and then you see, <laughs> wow, gone. They were at a Bible college studying to be a pastor. So many so-called Christians, they start in their big sizzle up front with the tears, and the hands go up, and I got a Bible, and all of this stuff. And they lack the patience, the long-suffering, the power to complete that which was started. And, and, and the funny thing is, he's the power that completes the work. All he's asking for us, and it's not hard at all, just cooperate. Cooperate with the power. He that began a good work in you will carry it out. But he's not going to carry out something that he didn't begin in the first place. And you're not going to carry out something that you're not cooperating with. So you're going to be stuck in a rut. This is what he's talking about. I told you about running into an old Bible college friend at this Pete's. He heard my name called. And he said, are you Ross Ryman? And I said, yeah, you're David Shannoni. Some of you may know him. He's a pastor. He's been a pastor around here, chaplain. And uh, we went to Bethany together. 35 years ago. 
And I said, listen, how about this person? How about that person? Oh, no, no, they didn't make it. They didn't make it spiritually. Yeah, they're off in the world. And I said, hey, we did it. We made it. You know? And he said, not yet. Not yet. He said, there's still time to destroy everything. Isn't that the way? That's the way to live. That is the way to live. Ten seconds in the wrong place, in the wrong time, and you will ruin what you worked a lifetime for if you're not careful. And unless you really believe that about yourself, you're in danger of doing it. I heard somebody say that once, and I was like, (laughs) but the older you get, the wiser you get, and you realize there but the grace of God go I. Oh, my friend, don't learn the hard way. Watch your thoughts right now, because you know who's listening? Him. He's listening. But you don't want to give him any excuse to come in and have to teach you a lesson. Right? Amen? All right. So listen to what Jesus said. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me, that's patient endurance, cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to finish it? For if you lay the foundation and you're not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will laugh at you and mock you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Jesus speaking there in Luke chapter 27 or 22. There's a number down there. It's Luke's gospel. (laughs) You see what he's saying? He's saying, come on, the Christian life is like that. You're going to finish or you're going to be a laughingstock? I want you to think about that. Are you going to finish? Or are you just playing games? You going to make it to the end? Are you? I'm asking because I know in a group this size, there'll be a few of you who don't. And that's too bad. Because we were right here having the conversation. Finish the course. Keep the faith. And the reason people don't finish what they started is, guess what? It got hard. It got difficult. It took a turn that nobody saw. And then they were out of it. But if you're already saying, come hell or high water, the gates of hell aren't going to prevail against the church And I'm part of the church. I'm going through out of my way. I'm crossing the finish line. Amen? Amen. All right. I said amen there. Verse 9. So integrity that can't be bought off, number one. Patience that sees you through to the bitter end. And now, along the same lines, a calm disposition. I really like this one a lot. He's saying, man, you're going to have to be even keeled in your temperament to make it in this life. Do not be quickly provoked, verse 9, in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. All right, so here's what he's saying here. Uh, 
things that are tightly wound have a tendency to snap. That includes human beings. Now, when he says don't be this kind of person, guess what he's saying? He's saying you have a choice. You don't have to be that kind of person. If he's saying don't be this way, then, then you, we can say, okay, I'm not going to be that way. And you can stop being so uptight. Man, alive. I was in Starbucks in Sebastopol. <laughs> it wasn't Sebastopol. I just said that by habit. It was Sausalito. It was Monday. And um, I was in line. It was a long line. And there were a lot of foreigners because there are ton of tourists in Sausalito. And there were a lot of non-English speakers in line. And there was a guy behind the counter. And I'm telling you what, I felt the angry vibe just when I was in the line before I even heard much of what was going on. And people were just trying to order. They were trying to distinguish, does that have chocolate in it or not? And, and that they're, they're using broken English. He's rolling his eyes. He's so upset. And the good Lord help you if you said uh, uh, small or a medium <laughs> instead of tall or grande. All right. These people, they don't even know where they're at. Right. You know, they don't know the right words and everything. And so they're fumbling around and and he won't serve them unless they have to. He has to train them. They say small. And he goes, are you small? You mean tall? Right. Like that. And I just wanted to just like, you know what? I wanted to step in and save the day, but he was much bigger than me. <laughs> and so after all of this, you know, he's correcting them, rolling his eyes, answering really short and kind of mocking them. And just this undertone of anger and oh, he's so tight, like he's going to explode. You know, so then I got my whatever it was, it was a yogurt, and I opened it up and I squeezed it too hard and it got on me, right? And so I'm like, man, I need some paper towels. So I went to get some paper towels. Not only were there no paper towels back there, it looked like World War III. It was nasty, all caps nasty. So I would think that you would want to know. Right? You would want to know, hey, the bathroom is crazy in there, right? And so I went up to him, right? And, and I knew he was an angry guy. So I was like, all smiles and really slow and really happy. So I was just feeling like, hey, hi. And, and that's exactly what I did. I said, hey, brother, man, hey. Uh, hey, listen, heads up on the, on the bathroom. There's, and he goes, I know. Dude, I was ready to just fire on him, right? Because I had been building the whole thing, waiting in line, right? Watching him do this. And the Lord goes, you're doing the same thing as him. Easily irritated by a customer service person who's a little insensitive for having a bad day. And you're ready to report him to the police. <laughs> And I was going to write him up. Man, how dare you treat the customer with such uh, disrespect, right? So listen, he's saying, you will never make it through this world in one piece. You will never be who God wants you to be in a broken world with imperfect people, including you, in an imperfect world. If you are easily angered, you'll never make it in your marriage 
You'll never make it in a friendship. You'll never make it at work. I'm going to get a little list of irritations. The best of spouses are sometimes insensitive. Me. Your employees don't always aim to please. Bosses can be demanding. Waitresses can put red onion on your sandwich. I told her, I said, I hate red onion. And I opened the sandwich up, and there it is. That was just yesterday. Waiting. Uh, this was this morning. Barb was making me breakfast, so I wasn't going to make her iron my shirt. So I'm ironing my shirt for myself, right? So I go in and I turn on the iron. I just kind of, you flick it on. You, you, right? You, you have irons. <laughs> and so I just thought, okay, that's been two minutes. And I put it down, right? And it's cold. You know why? It's not plugged in. <laughs> right? And so I'm like, two minutes of my entire life that I'll never get back again, right? No, not really. But I'm just telling you, if you're like that, you can, and you probably know people like that, and maybe there's a part of you like that. It goes on. Listen, you're done washing the dishes, you're all done, you scrub the sink, and you even rinsed it out, and you put everything away, and you turn around, and, and the, the worst pan, you forgot. And it's just sitting there dirty, you know? The guy in front of you cuts you off, what's new? Your teacher grades you because they're in a bad mood, overly harsh. Uh, your friend doesn't return your text within five minutes. <laughs> and then worse is the bubbles start coming. Like, I'm texting you, I'm texting you, I'm texting you, and then nothing. What's your problem? You're doing that just to bug me. The cops pull you over for doing 15 in a 14. <laughs> Computers start updating when you're in a hurry. The airline loses your luggage. The pastor didn't stop and say hi to you. <laughs> you don't have to applaud. <laughs> I promise you. There's nothing more. You need to be baptized in his love because love, 1 Corinthians 13, is not easily irritated. And if you are, you are just going to be one big, messed up person that nobody really wants to be around because you make everybody nervous. Amen? Amen. I think we got this one. Uh, let me just add one thing. How does a, a short-fused person stop being short-fused? Well, the easy answer is get a longer fuse. But, but, but for me, it's looking at the cross and what Jesus has endured from me and how he treats me, the mercy that I've received. That'll soften you. Uh, verse 10, do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it's not wise to ask such questions. Has anybody said, oh, those are the good old days? Uh-oh. He says, here's the problem with that. He says, don't retreat. Don't always be looking backward because you won't be present in the moment. Um, you know the song, because we do this all the time. Those were the Good. And those were the days, my friend, we thought they'd never end. We'd sing and dance forever and a day. La, 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 all of that. 
we humans have a tendency to romanticize the past and over-exaggerate those days. You know, I guarantee if you go back to the days you're just all enamored about, I promise you, if you could teleport yourself back there, you'd go, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Oh, yeah, I forgot about this. And, and here's what the Bible say. It's saying to be looking back fondly is sort of to admit defeat. Uh, about what you're facing. It, it's saying, I give up. I don't want to conquer. The best days are behind me. He's saying, that's not wise because you, you need to face life present and uh, inclined to overcome and go forward. It's not helpful to be looking back. Paul agrees. He says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Uh, He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, pressing on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So the qualities are, number one, integrity that I can't be bought Two, patience that never gives up. Three, a calm disposition that isn't easily riled up. And four, a forward-looking gaze ready for advancing. And then finally, we close out with number five tonight. Wisdom like an inheritance is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter, as money is a shelter, but the advantage of knowledge is this, that wisdom preserves the life of its possessor. And so the, the fifth quality is to having and loving discernment over dollars. So most people mistakenly believe, and some Christians, that riches are the answer to all life's troubles. And so the Bible's constantly having to say, uh, show us that that's not true, that winning the lottery or striking it rich or making some quick cash um, is not the answer. And usually it's part of the problem. Uh, Solomon will say, let's compare two things. Now, if you're going to go after one thing, sacrifice for it and search for it and take aim for it, And the two good things are um, riches or wisdom. Aim for wisdom. So here's what he's saying. He's saying money can keep a roof over your head, but wisdom will save you if it caves in on top of you. Because the wise person is right with God and has faith in Christ, you see. He says... Money can bail you out of court and keep you out of trouble with man. And wisdom can keep you out of court with the Lord and out of trouble with God. Because of your faith, you live to please God. Money can pay your physical debts, but wisdom gives you the faith to be in right relationship with God. And then your debts are paid Spiritually speaking, before God, can you imagine standing before God and having to pay for every single sin and every kind of debt instead of having all your sins forgiven 
That's wisdom. And so those are the Proverbs for straighten up, take this life seriously. Um, don't fritter it away on frivolous things. Um, and number two, fly right. Be justified by faith, but don't sell out. Don't give up. Finish what you started. Don't be easily irritated. Long-suffering and be merciful. Don't live in the past. Seize the present day. And don't love money. Jesus said, I promise you this. He said, you can't have two masters. If your life is all about money, he says, you can't serve God. He said, you're going to love one and hate the other or hate one and love the other. He said, trust me, you can't do it. Money is important, but serve God first, and he'll take care of what you need. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love. Thank you for these proverbs tonight and advice that helps us, Lord, to take our lives seriously and to live upright and decent and holy lives in your sight. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.